honeypots, patches, and the passing of an icon. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. Paul, how do you do? Oh, very well, Douglas. Welcome back from your vacation. It's good to be back. I do have uh, a little surprise for you. We start each show with the uh, This Week in Tech History segment. And some weeks, there are so many possible topics to choose from. Just a little peek behind the curtain for everyone. That uh, we have to go back and forth and decide which one we're going to choose. So I took the liberty of building a topic wheel that we can spin Whatever topic it lands on, that's the topic we discuss. So on the wheel this week, we have a ton of topics. We've got the first computer convention, the Altair convention in 1976. We've got the Melissa virus from 1999. We've got the first long-distance phone call in 1884. The invention of the phototransistor in 1950. The unveiling of the Univac in 51. The first city to go full electric lighting in 1880. And Microsoft Bob in 1995. So I'm just going to give the wheel a spin wherever it lands. That's the topic This is Wheel we of shall discuss. stuff, is it? Yep. The wheel is spinning. I know where I want it to stop, Doug. And it has landed on the Melissa virus. It's right in our wheelhouse. I was secretly hoping for Microsoft Bob because we have spoken about it before. And it was a great opportunity for me to have a very slight rant slash complaint and to introduce Clippy. But I can't (laughs) mention either of those again, Doug. All right. Well, the wheel has spoken this week. In 1999, the world felt the wrath of the Melissa virus, a mass-mailing macrovirus targeting Microsoft Word and Outlook users. The message emailed itself along with a poisoned Word document to the first 50 people in the victim's Outlook contact list, while at the same time disabling protective features of both programs. The Melissa virus was eventually connected to David L. Smith of New Jersey, who spent 20 months in federal prison and paid a $5,000 fine. And Paul, you were there, man. Oh dear, yes. This wasn't the first mailing malware. We've already spoken about Christmas Exec, haven't we? Which was 10 years before that on IBM mainframes. But this was a sign that now we're all connected and a lot of us were using Microsoft Word with its macro programming language and we were relying heavily on email. Things could go a bit (laughs) pear-shaped if there was a virus. The problem was it wasn't 50 people, it was the first 50 addresses. Most people, somewhere shortly after Armouth, Doug and Aardvark, Christopher, had somebody called, for example, All Users, or something <laughs> to that effect. So, yeah, it was an absolutely huge thing. It had a Bart Simpson reference, didn't it? Yeah, Quijibo. Occasionally it would actually stick that into a document, wouldn't it? He fell foul of the law because he quite simply should have predicted the level of disruption that it caused. So, as you say, 20 months in federal prison and the beginning of a dramatic era of mass mailing malware. All right. Let's uh, move from macros to more. Rest in peace, Gordon Moore, 94 years young, Paul. Yes, I had a strange conversation over the weekend when I bumped into someone over coffee and they said, oh, what have you been doing on the weekend so far? I said, oh, actually, I've, I've just been at work. I was writing a, an RIP, an in-memoriam piece for a very, very famous person in the IT industry. Gordon Moore died at 94. And this person looked at me and said, oh, I've never heard of him. <gasps> and I said, but you've heard of Moore's Law? Oh, yes, of course. Oh, Moore's Law, I know about that. I said, well, 
same Moore. And so I hope they rushed off to read the article, uh, republished the graphs that he put in his original little piece that led to Moore's Law. That was before he founded Intel, actually. Yeah, he was so much more, if you catch my drift. <laughs> yes. It's a fascinating little paper. It was published in essentially a popular magazine as a short piece, just a few pages, in Electronics Magazine in 1965. It was almost jocular in that he's saying, you know what, we've noticed at Fairchild, 1962, 63, 64, 65, if you take the number of transistors on the chips that we're building each time, and the chips are roughly the same size, and you take the log base two of the number of transistors and you draw a graph, you get a straight line, which means exponential growth. In other words, you can't just keep making the chips bigger and bigger and bigger because they start failing. You have to learn how to change the manufacturing process as well so you can basically get more transistors in there. And the paper is called Cramming More Components into <laughs> Integrated Circuits. It. Literally mm. cramming more in. And you see that by 1975, 10 years into the future, it would suggest that you might have single circuits that had as many as 65,000, two to the power 16 transistors on them, Douglas. Unbelievable. That was his theory about how we might innovate. Didn't quite work out like that. By 1975, he said it doesn't look like the doubling every year is going to continue. But it could be roughly doubling every two years. And even though we haven't quite doubled every two years, we're not far off. Because if you go from 1978, when the 8086 came out, that had about 2 to the power 15 transistors on it. 22 doublings 44 years later the Apple M2 chip came out. So that should have roughly 2 to the power 37 transistors on it, which is well over 100 billion. Well, that's impossible. Not far off, though. 20 billion transistors on an Apple M2 chip. Amazingly prescient, Doug. Indeed. All right. Uh, the Windows 10 Snip and Sketch app has been patched, and the Windows 11 Snipping Tool has been patched. Just to revisit, in case you missed this story, this started with a bug in the Google Pixel photo cropping tool where you could crop an image, a photo or a screenshot that you already had on the phone and just hit save over the original and you'd get the brand new file followed by the leftover content from, <laughs> from the previous image which you wouldn't notice when you loaded the image back because inside the data that was written back over the old file is a marker that says you can stop here. So a tester who cropped a file and loaded it back would find that it looked correct, but it potentially had leftover cropped data. So it's exactly the bug you don't want, isn't it? And of course, the bug was nothing specific to Google or Pixel phones or Android programming, or Java runtime libraries. It turns out that some Windows image and screenshot cropping tools had exactly the same bug, albeit for different reasons. What we don't know, Doug, is how many other apps of this sort, they may not be image editors, they might be video editors, or audio editors, whatever, have a similar sort of problem. If you go to Microsoft Store, and you go and update your snipping tool, you will get a version that no longer behaves this way. And if you have Windows 10, what's it called there, Doug? You, Snip you and Sketch. Yep. Snip and I'm happy to report. I do use the snipping tool all the time, and I'm happy to report that mine has been updated. I don't. I didn't do it manually, so it either got rolled into a previous update or was updated automatically. So always good to check. 
Yes, we've put a link to Microsoft's article about it and the new version numbers to look for in the Naked Security article. Because, Doug, I didn't quite agree with Microsoft's assessment of this. I don't know what you thought. They said it's a low severity bug because, and I'm quoting, successful exploitation requires uncommon user interaction and several factors outside of an attacker's control, unquote. And the problem to me with that statement is this isn't about someone attacking you or trying to trick you into revealing an image that you didn't intend to. The problem is that you're editing the image specifically to remove something that you don't want in there. And the data that you visibly had removed did not get removed. Speaking of removing things, this is called Operation Power Off. Is this fair to call this a DDoS honeypot? I think it is, Doug. It's a multinational thing. As far as I know, at least the FBI, the Dutch police, the German Bundeskriminalamt and the UK's National Crime Agency are involved in this. As far as I know, the idea is to try and provide what you might call high pressure discouragement to youngsters (laughs) who think it would be cool to hang out on the fringes of cybercrime. Mm hmm. It seems pretty well established that quite a lot of youngsters who want to dip their toes in the water of operating in the dark side tend to get drawn towards what are called DDoS or booter or stressor services. And these are pay-as-you-go services run by other crooks where you can essentially take vengeance on someone's website. So you don't fling malware at it. You don't try and hack into it. You don't try and steal data. So it kind of feels like a very low level of criminality. I'm just paying to have a whole load of random computers around the world gang up on a website, ask for the homepage all at the same time, and it won't be able to cope. And that'll teach them. And so, as you say, what what the Operation Power Off was about was essentially a honeypot. Hey, are you interested in getting into booting and stressing? Are you toying on the fringes of cybercrime? Sign up here. And, of course, you weren't signing up with cyber crooks. You were actually signing up with the cops. And after a little while, when enough people had signed up, then the site suddenly goes dead. And then you get contacted and uh, you get to have, how can I put it, a special discussion, (laughs) uh, which I think is meant to dissuade you Mm -hmm. from doing this. Because as funny as it might seem to you, neither the owner of the site nor the police, nor the magistrates are going to find it amusing if you get hauled into court, because it does affect people's businesses and their livelihoods. And the other thing that the cops say that they're keen to do is essentially sowing some kind of discord among the cybercrime community. Like when you sign up for one of these dark web services, how do you know whether you're signing up with fellow criminals or with undercover cops? Well, and this is the danger of when People hear about botnets or zombie networks, maybe an old computer I have that's unpatched that's on in my closet or whatever. I'm not really paying attention to if it can be leveraged inside a bot network or a zombie network. It can be used for things like this, even though I don't mean to, I don't want to take any site down. But if I have an infected computer, it can be used for uh, stuff like this. Absolutely. That's why, you know, if you're still running XP, if you haven't patched your home router for three years, you are part of the problem, not the solution because your computer or your router could be used in this way. On the subject of time wasting, lest you think penetration testing is a waste of time, we've got a penetration testing win for commerce giant WooCommerce. 
Yes, fortunately, that's the way round it worked. They haven't disclosed any real details about the bug, for obvious reasons, because then anyone who hasn't patched, you'd be giving away the secret for people to jump in. It sounds like an unauthenticated remote code execution where you could trigger some PHP script, but while you were about it, you could grab admin privileges on the site. Now, if someone's breaking into your WordPress site and they might then suddenly start putting up bogus links or printing fake news, that's bad enough. But when the WordPress site you're talking about is in fact one that deals with online payments, which is what WooCommerce is all about, then it gets very serious indeed. As you say, fortunately, this was disclosed responsibly and it was patched and WordPress and the automatic team, people who run WordPress, were informed. And for most people, patches were pushed out automatically. But it's really important if you run a WooCommerce site that you go and make sure you're up to date because if you aren't, there's a possibility that crooks may come looking for this backdoor hole that allows them to get admin access. And of course, once they're in, they can get all sorts of stuff, including hashed login passwords and what are known as API keys or authentication tokens. In other words, those magic strings of characters that you can put in future web requests that allow you to interact with the site as if you were pre-authorized. And how do we feel about the verbiage, uh, you know, these passwords were salted and hashed and, quote, it's unlikely that your password was compromised, end quote. How does, how does that make the hair on the back of your neck, <laughs> is it standing up or is it still lying down? You put it more dramatically than I was willing to do in print in the article, Doug, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I'm going to change my password just in case. Yes, they sort of said, well, you know, the passwords were hashed. They didn't say exactly how. And they didn't give any details of how hard it might be to crack them by trying a massive dictionary against them. They said, so, like, you probably don't need to change your password. Surely this is a very good reason to change your password. Mm -hmm. The idea of hashing passwords is, if they get stolen, the fact that the hashes do need cracking first, and that might take days, weeks or months or even years, it gives everybody time to go and change their passwords. So I would have thought they'd just say, go and change your password. In fact, I was almost expecting to see those weird words out of an abundance of caution. Done. Yes, exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> so I don't agree with that. I think this is exactly the sort of reason why you would go and change your password. And as you have said many times, if you have a password manager and you only have to change one password, it really should be quite a quick process. The one thing WooCommerce did say, and this you absolutely must do, is you do need to go and invalidate all those so-called API keys. You need to get rid of those and regenerate them for all the software that you use that interacts with your WooCommerce accounts. And WooCommerce have advice on how to do that. We've put the link in the Naked Security article. Okay. And uh, last but certainly not least, I uh, get great joy out of... Uh... When you do this in a headline, but you just say Apple patches everything. And uh, you mean everything. This includes a zero-day fix for iOS 15 users as well. Yes, that was the curious part of it. There are fixes for the three supported versions of macOS, Big Sur, Monterey, and Ventura. There are patches for tvOS, for watchOS. There's even a patch, Doug, for the Apple Studio display, which is of course super cool, groovy... <laughs> screen because it's not just a screen it's got a yeah. webcam and all kinds of stuff in there you have to plug the screen in in order to apply the patch 
it basically downloads the firmware into your screen. The bug in the firmware on the screen could allow a crook to reach into the operating system on your Mac and actually get kernel-level code execution access. Oh, that's, that's bad. So, <laughs> that, that is pretty weird, isn't it? But the outlier or the super important update was for iOS 15. So those of you who have older iPhones and iPads, their updates include a WebKit Zero Day, a remote code execution attack that some crooks somewhere are already exploiting. So if you've got an older iPhone and you're running iOS 15, absolutely do not delay, do it today. But I would recommend that for anything you've got that has the Apple logo on it, because when you look at the range of bugs that they have fortunately proactively fixed, they do cover a wide range of sins. So they include things like, as we said, with the, with the display, kernel-level remote code execution, data stealing, the ability to send a booby-trapped Bluetooth packet that then lets the attacker snoop on your other Bluetooth data, the ability to bypass Apple download quarantine checks, an intriguing bug that just says unauthorized access to your hidden photos album. I've not used the hidden photos album. But I imagine they are the photos that you wish to keep, but you definitely don't want anyone else to see. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> the, the hints in the name, Doug. And also a bug relating to luring you to a booby trap website, after which your browsing habits might be tracked online. So lots of good reasons to apply the patches. All right, and we've got a very powerful yet succinct comment. It's time to hear from one of our readers on the Naked Security Podcast. And at first I was very tickled by this comment, but then I got to thinking, if you have a bunch of different Apple devices, if you're, if you're an Apple person, it's actually kind of hard to track all these bugs. And Paul, you do a very good job of just getting them all in one place for people to see. And uh, on this Apple article, Naked Security reader Bart comments, and I quote, thanks. I would like to think of that comment figuratively, if not literally, as being two words, because it's thanks exclamation mark. Exactly. I, should, I should have. I did leave that out of the uh, quote. Yeah. As you say, it all gets a bit bitty on Apple's site because you click on one link and you think, oh, golly, I wonder what's the important stuff here. So the, the reason for writing them up on Naked Security is to try and distill that information, of which there's pages and pages and pages, into a list of links all in one place that actually gives you the version number you need after you've done the update so you can verify that you've got it. And then something that tells you, here are the really, really important things. Here are the bugs that the crooks are already exploiting. These are the bugs that the crooks could have found, but fortunately, if you patch, you can get ahead. All right. Thank you very much, Bart, for sending that in. If you have an interesting story, comment, or question, or I suppose in this case, an interjection you'd like to submit, We'd love to read on the that podcast. That is exactly the part of speech that it is, isn't it? It's a, it is an interjection. It shows excitement or emotion. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on one of our articles. Or both. <laughs> or hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure. Exclamation point. <laughs>